ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first episode of Catch Up. I'm Jordan Suwami. I'm James Rathbone. Uh, we are two DJs in the city of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, um, who run a group and a party called Boosie Fade. So, so maybe the best way to start is by telling people a little bit of our origin story. I, I think James and I first, we first started communicating through a mutual friend, Marco, who was a blogger and would post uh, his top fifty or something ridiculous, like a lot of songs yeah. of the of the year. And I think it was in twenty twelve. I remember he posted he had a Meek Mill song on there, probably his Dreams and Nightmares intro, and. I was super into Meek Mill at the time, and I did not know a single person else in the world that was. Like, none of my friends were into him. My friends who liked hip-hop were just like, that guy who yells a lot? I'm like, no, it's so much more than that. Yeah. But but no one really knew. And then I remember in the comments that you had a really lengthy comment about Meek Mill and his major label debut and how the album didn't actually meet expectations, but Dreams and Nightmare Interest was very good. And I was just like, wow, I didn't know there was anybody else on the planet who thought or cared about Meek Mill as much as I do. And I was just like, I can't believe this is a human that lives in the same city as me. And I think that's where I first kind of became aware of of you. Yeah. And, and then uh, it was likewise, I was like, I, I think I had been kind of seeing your name in like my Facebook feed, sort of commenting on my friend's stuff, sort of especially Marco. And uh, I then met you at like a rap night at what would eventually become our future home, Parts and Labor. Uh, And we got along straight away. And then like, we were both basically just these two people who, uh, if not had exactly the same tastes, shared a very similar sensibility about music, rap music especially, uh, wherein we're both really interested in sort of looking to the now and to the future, what's sort of to come. We both love uh, seeing trends in music, trying to understand what's popular, um, trying to understand why it's popular, but and enjoy it for what it is. Um, and our, our from there, our sort of our friendship grew based on our this like shared passion. Um, one, one night we went out to see a uh, very famous rap producer. Very famous from the 2000s whose music you absolutely have grown up on. Yeah. No matter what age you are. Yes. Uh, he's he And even if you don't know that much about rap music, you would absolutely recognize some of the beats that he's produced. And he uh, we went to see him at a uh, kind of, I don't know how you put it, club. I would say a downtown Toronto awful nightclub yes that's that's those are the words uh and you know it was like one of those things where there were a lot of people who were uh you know made up atomically of cocaine like their (laughs) atoms were were kind of you know heavy narcotic variety uh and we were kind and we anyway we wouldn't really care about all that stuff we were really there to hear like loud contemporary rap music in a, in a nightclub and just like have fun. And instead of, he would, he would play these songs. He'd play songs uh, that he'd produce songs that he'd produce famous ones, famous ones, the, the most A-list of rappers. Yes. And there are heavy hints here. And then he would, uh, go into EDM remixes of them after about like 30 seconds, 45 seconds. It's, it was like a version of, of, uh, what a, uh, sort of friend of ours termed catfish DJing, which is like what a lot of uh, bad DJs do, where they 
uh, bad rap DJs in particular, they play just the hook of a, of a song that you want to hear. And they're like, y'all love the new 3-6 uh, Mafia? Here's the new 3-6 Mafia. And then they play, you know, the, the hook for 20 seconds. And it's like, well, now how about that new future? And it's like, <laughs> you don't get to like dance. It's just like cutting in between two songs. And he was doing that. And, but instead of not, of you know, switching songs, he would switch into this really long re- like EDM remix of them. And it was like, it was excruciating. Believe me, it's as bad as it sounds, yeah. perhaps worse. And so uh, after that, we were like, you know, well, we got to do something about this. I had been DJing for a while, but pretty casually, um, just sort of like here and there, really as a means to hear the music I liked out. But I had a real problem with finding like a good audience, finding like a good venue, uh, place where I felt like the music I was playing was being received well or that I could even play the stuff that I wanted to play. People weren't just going to ask me to play like the worst, most popular songs or at being a rap DJ wanting to just hear like 90 stuff, which I like, but uh, there's a lot of people who do that, do it well. And it's it, even by this time, this was sort of in 2014, it was like 90s rap had become the oldies at that point. Mm-hmm. And it was just didn't, it didn't, there wasn't anything really invigorating There's to no me. There's no vitality to yeah. it. It's like, it's, it's something that has been done to death. It's the market for 90s hip hop nights has been oversaturated. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, for me, like my background is like, I come from kind of the music writing world. Um, and so I've ri- written a lot about music over the years and kind of, like James said, like just been interested in like where hip hop is going, what's going on right now, who's popular, where and why. And yeah, and we would just always have these really like in-depth like conversations about music that I mean, I even on the Internet, I wasn't having those kind of conversations. And it was just like and I still remember that at some point we were just, you were hanging out of my 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 apartment and you're like, you know, I have an idea. I'd like to DJ with you. And I was like, you know, that I actually thought about DJing so much over the years, but I never felt like I was like, oh, what right do I have to DJ? I was like, you know, like a little bit of imposter syndrome. And then I was like, okay, if James is going to teach me how to DJ, then this is like the perfect way for me to get into it. And so we kind of just did it. Did it. Yeah we, yeah. we started a party at this bar in Toronto on Dundas uh, called Red Light. And yeah. it's a pretty small bar. But pretty quickly after, I think we did like maybe two, and I was like, "Oh, this is like a popular." Party. Yeah, there was. I think it was the th- there was a third one, which was so we started it in uh, May t- 2014, and basically bought, there was one that was like at the in like late July, early August. Red light is like I think has a capacity of like about six or seven people, and there was <laughs> uh, it was like. F- totally filled to the brim it was super sweaty it, one thing that's really great about red light is that it's really dark um you know it, it, it just had this really this night it just had this like crazy energy that i had never experienced ever before in my life whether going to someone else's party or in djing where it was like everything felt in sync everyone was just getting sweaty and we were playing the music that wasn't just like sort of like crowd pleaser generic stuff we were playing very specific music that uh was you know maybe come out a few days before or was like kind of just of the of the time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and it was like that night it was like you know it's that the 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 
it's almost become a cliche to say something's like like a movie, you know? Mm-hmm. It's almost like meaningless now. But that experience, I remember being like, I feel like I'm in a movie tonight, <laughs> honestly. And that, that that was sort of when I knew that we had something special. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of did the party at Red Light for a year. And then we I just felt like we had we'd outgrown the place. Like people, we were always at capacity. People needed uh, more room to people needed more room to dance. And I remember once saying to James, I was like, I'm, I'm never, I, we can never do this party here again. Yeah. And I remember and you looking at me like, that's a little unreasonable. I was like, James, like never again. Yeah. Like, I was like, we need to find another venue. I mean, in fairness to Red Light, Red Light has a wonderful owner, Nick, who's like just a gem of a human so, being. It's a, great, it's a great place to have a DJ night. Yeah, it is a great place to have a DJ night. It's a great place to go in general. It's got, you know, a lot going for it. It's just that we had outgrown it because literally there would be a lineup early to this bar that didn't re- like has kind of a makeshift dance floor mm-hmm. so then we migrated to parts and labor and, and and in fairness to jordan he knew i think more than i did the just the incredible demand there was for something like this in the city um because i think i was quite nervous that parts and labor we, we were you know it's a it, we were going from again a room of you know like 40 40 maybe people so I, th- I don't even think it's that much honestly mm-hmm. i think it's like 35 people legally or whatever you know uh but and then going to parts which was i think is 150 people or maybe more, maybe more i think 180 maybe. Yeah, yeah yeah so it was like we were making a huge jump in size and i was a little bit worried we were going to kind of have an empty room and there's nothing worse than djing an empty room mm-hmm. um uh, corporate events I'd say. that's true Certain actually djing events. for a room full of terrible people was worse than djing an empty <laughs> room but uh anyway um also say we we started doing the party of parts and labor <laughs> Uh, it was an immediate hit, and yeah, we just kind of developed. The, there started we started to have a lot of regulars, and we started to have like this community. And one thing that we would notice is that every time we would put a new event on Facebook, is that the event wall would just turn into this kind of magical space of just people posting song links and posting gifts and memes and just cracking jokes. And it was just really kind of positive energy around this music that we all kind of loved, and. During this time, I like I got a job in Amsterdam and I left Canada and I was so I moved to Amsterdam and I would occasionally like every few months come back to Toronto. So I moved to Amsterdam in 2015 and then every few months, like maybe every two or three months, I would come back to Toronto so we could do a Boosie Fade event. Yeah, and I remember just talking to James and saying like, you know, there's something really special about our event wall. Like, what what if we just kind of were able to create this in a more permanent way? Yeah, and kind of just create a general Facebook group that doesn't even have to be that big. It could just be like some of the, like, you know, even if we have like 80 people and we're just like yeah. kind of talking about the music and just kind of have an ongoing conversation about music on a day-to-day basis the way that we do on the event wall. And our, our friends Alice and Liz had this uh, R&B zine that called How Does It Feel that had a Facebook group that was like, you know, it was like a nice space for, you know, people posting kind of like their favorite Aaliyah songs or something like that. And I and we and I think that was a bit of an inspiration it was for us. absolutely an inspiration. And uh, and so we kind of saw that, but we wanted to do something like that, but for more like rap music, you know, like the the kind of stuff, the Meek Mill, etc. And so that we started that group, and it it like sp- it, spread like wildfire. Yeah, like I think was, at first it was like we kind of had a smaller, we had a smaller, smaller crew of, yeah. of people, pretty strong engagement. And then there was an article that was like a, there's a journalist in the group named Caitlin White, and she wrote an article for Uproxx, which then kind of it kind of changed the group from being kind of a Toronto specific to having a lot more people from around the world. We had people from California. We had people from New York. We had mm-hmm. like it started to kind of grow. And then yeah. 
I guess in, just in the last two years to yeah. speed speed it up, speed this conversation up yeah. is uh, it's just kind of grown into this huge amorphous thing yeah. that has people from Pakistan and London, England and yeah. Amsterdam and like all over the world uh, just kind of discussing hip hop. Yeah. On a day, hip hop and R and B on a day to day basis in pop culture, and now, um, so in the city, we kind of do a few things. In Toronto, we do a few things, kind of through the group. I mean, we have a we have a film and television group called Boosie Fade Film Club, and we now are starting to host like film screenings, and we did an event called the Boosie Fade Debate Club, which is a way of kind of taking the conversation from the group into an in real life context, and that kind of ties into this podcast, yes. which is like us kind of taking the kind of things that we talk about face to face and on the internet on a day to day basis and trying to bring it to like more a wider audience and to more people and even to like our audience in the group and just kind of getting deeper into the details of of kind of what's going on in hip hop, R and B and like pop culture at large and kind of discussing the trends yeah. and where things are going, where things have been. Yeah. And so I think with this podcast we're gonna we're kind of going to go with a two-pronged approach, approach of sometimes discussing just the the issues of the day and then also occasionally having a deeper dive onto a specific topic or a specific artist or a specific moment in hip-hop where we kind of will give like a little bit of a historical context as well as a present-day context and how we look back on these things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that one of the things that sort of sets the boozy fade type of conversations uh, apart, and what I think we're hoping to do here is give uh, a fairly balanced and uh, nuanced perspective to a lot of these conversations that can sometimes veer into like one particular viewpoint being the only viewpoint that anyone's willing to listen to on it. Uh, when a lot of the times, even things that you you know you might not like or might not understand have actually a little bit more depth and nuance to them and hopefully that we can help bring to light. Um, One thing we should mention is that uh, just due to the nature of launching a podcast, dealing with Apple, iTunes, etc., that in the future we'll be releasing our podcast on a pretty quick turnaround and everything will be fresh. Uh, This one might take a little longer to come out um, so things could be drastically different from, you know, the circumstance that we're talking about. So, you know, think about your past self and your present self while listening to this. Mm-hmm. And so with all that said, we're going to let you know what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about the new Ray Shremmer triple album. We're going to talk about the Post Malone album. And we're going to talk about the new J. Cole album, K.O.D. So releasing in a few days as the as the date of this recording is the the Ray Shremmer triple album, which I'm not sure how you're supposed to pronounce it. I think it's like Shrem three, perhaps. Um, and it's the way that it's working is that you're getting nine songs of a Sway Lee solo project called Swaycation. It's amazing. Nine songs of a Slim Jimmy solo project called Jim Tro, and nine songs of them together, which. Um, <laughs> I guess the Shrem part. The Shrem part. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're 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 such a progressive, uh, you know, almost experimental rap group that they're even changing language itself. <laughs> you know, it's, it's gotta like, have the three in there. Yeah. Slim Jimmy is spelled without an I yeah. uh, at the second letter, but an X. Yeah. 
these guys. But there's probably, if you put the words like in a stack, you can maybe like decode the cipher that's contained in them. <laughs> you know, I think they're just on like a, maybe operating in about a hundred years time from now, mm -hmm. you know? And the one thing about this album so far is like, I remember when it was initially announced that there was a collective groan through most music fans that I knew because we had just come off the, the Migos Culture 2 album, which was 24 songs and I think a um, hundred years long, I still have not met a single person that has listened to the entire album, and I don't blame them, quite frankly. I don't think that person exists. No, they don't. There's not even no one in QC has even uh, the record label has listened to it. Um, the thing about this this Ray Schremer album so far is that all of the I would say ninety percent of the the lead singles for this have been spectacular. It's like Sway Lee's "Her to Look," uh, his other song "Guatemala," great. Slim Jimmy has a song called Brings Truck, which is amazing. The song that they have together, Power Glide, which samples a 3-6 Mafia song from the early 2000s, Side to Side, is like perfect. And when we play it at the Boosty Fade party, people lose their motherfucking minds. This, this, this um, girl came out to me uh, last Friday and requested Power Glide towards the end of the night by being like, can you play Power Glide? Me and my friends just graduated. That was like... That's the power of that song, that, that they associate the success of graduating, I'm <laughs> guessing hopefully a higher institution, uh, with that song, Power Glide. That song like, is emblematic of that feeling of you know, triumph and success and excitement. It's, it had one of the biggest reactions of the night when the, when the beginning of that song started. I yeah, say, absolutely. Um, so yeah, what's, what, what are you feeling about this album? Are you excited for it? What do you think about the concept? What do you think about the 999? That's like some Herman Cain shit, bringing it back. Um, what's, what's your take? I, uh, I, I'm more excited to talk to you about it, to be honest, because I, I found, I've, I was, yeah, I would say I was in the group that was a little bit wary that they were kind of just trying to game some streaming numbers by, uh, including each of them on, on sort of every track and yet calling it two solo albums and uh, a group album. Now it seems that it's going to be, uh, they're not going to be on all of each other's tracks, I don't think. Um, but, you know, you have a, this like tremendous enthusiasm and excitement for it that's just contagious. And it's like, makes me appreciate them a bit more. I actually found their their last record, uh, the one... Strum Life 2. Strum Life 2. Which has Black Beatles, which was a uh, number one Billboard Hot 100 yes. song. Man and had the, the Mannequin, Mannequin Challenge, Challenge, which was one of the early social media challenges as a way of ginning up your numbers and getting kind of spreading your song through the internet. It was a great. That was like that was almost like a it's like it feels like a more wholesome time right now. Thinking back to the mannequin challenge, That's true. teens everywhere creating tableaus and using their phones to record them to you know to a great song to that a great song. Gucci Mane. Yeah, with that and like you know, Strem Life Two was uh, one of the more experimental rap albums of the last I don't know how long. It like they some of the songs sounded like kind of like '80s new wave. Uh, you know, they were doing all kinds of just even like Black Beatles itself, even Black Beatles itself. I mean, some of it is like it's like I think that they there's this sort of trend in rap music for people to be like calling themselves rock stars, you know, um, which I think kind of goes back to Gucci Mane, actually sort of introducing that concept like race drummer. It's like they live it. They like really like almost like see themselves as this kind of rock star sort of, uh, you know, I can do anything I want musically, people are going to love it. I'm, you know, 
It's like a they they don't smash guitars, but they smash guitars. Mm-hmm. I think in the Black Beatles video they smash a few guitars. Okay, they do smash guitars. Um, and I think that I guess one other thing that's really important to mention is that the the peak mannequin challenge moment was when Paul McCartney did one, and the tacit uh, approval of Ray Schremer was just <laughs> I don't know you know I never thought that I would you know hang on a Paul McCartney cosign, but it actually meant a lot to me yeah. to see him. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think in general, like the thing about Ray Schremer that I fu- that I find really exciting is that I remember when they first, you know, kind of emerged on the scene maybe in 2014 and with no flex zone, and uh, I remember right away just like lo- just loving the infectious vibe. They like at the time everyone thought they like, look at these cute teens, but they were like in their early 20s. Yeah, but they were like you know. I still kind of felt that even though they were in the early 20s. I'm like, Absolutely. look at these cute teens. They're, just like, they, they look they're like brothers elves. from Mississippi. Oh, they my look like gosh. Elves. Yeah. It's, they have this, like, really cuteness. Like, just like, they have this, you know, uh, it's just like they, they don't they don't have that kind of, like, rapper, like, 100-yard stare going. They have this kind of, like, enthusiasm. A wholesomeness like, to Yeah, them. they do yeah. have a wholesomeness to them, even though they don't necessarily talk about wholesome topics. <laughs> they, I, mean, I feel like a lot of the topics, they sometimes handle them in a pretty, you know, yeah, wholesome true. way. Like, they had a song, Safe Sex and Paychecks. Yes, it's I true. I mean, <laughs> come on. That's yeah. like, you know, send that to your teen right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I remember a lot of people saying, oh, this is just a Mike Will studio creation. They're one-hit wonders. It's just these two. He could have got any two random guys, made a Mike Will beat, uh, and then just put them on it, and it would have been a hit. And I think that they've just consistently proved over the last three, four years that they're they're not. like Not to mention they have this one crazy, incredible freestyle in Tim Westwood's studio that just like proved, and this is like after Ebro Darden of Hot 97, had accused them of using ghostwriters, but just had proved that these guys are like real rappers. Yeah. They're very talented. They're very original. They're very creative. They have their own wave. And I think it's just like, you know, put some respect on the name, you know? And I think that's like, even with even with this album, it's like each album cycle, they've just proven every naysayer, including fans like myself. Like even when I got, I got, got a little nervous, I'm like, oh, this triple album idea sounds awful. Yeah. And then the lead singles are all these like smash hits that are really different sounding and like like you said very experimental you know sway's kind of going after that lane like after he had that hit song with french montana unforgettable which i think peaked at like number five in the hot 100 uh, which is a song that is clearly carried by sway lee's like hook Mm -hmm. and he's kind of like carved out that lane for himself where he's kind of going after the singing you know her to look sounds almost like a like a like an updated weekend track, mm-hmm. like a recent weekend track, and Guatemala is kind of going after that unforgettable wave as well. And he's just like, and while Slim Jimmy's coming on this like hard, like kind of like aggressive party trap rap sound, and I think they're both just really nailing the sound and just having the vitality you see in them when you see them do interviews and just like public appearances. Like you see, you you're feeling that in the music. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's some artists who can kind of do everything like they can sing they can rap they can write they can do hooks you know they can like you know there was some uh some of the, especially in some of that early race drama there was some like pretty like big like trap kind of sounds like future kind of songs uh and oftentimes i feel like with those sort of artists that they their approach can basically just be to be a chameleon like just trend hop song after song after song and it's like Ray Stormer instead has decided to try and create new sounds as much as they can or to, to mod, like modify the sort of sounds that are in the in the zeitgeist to 
go somewhere new. And, and I mean, I, I think that there's also just this this truth of them being these sort of studio rats that Mike Will isn't like totally uh, sort of manufacturing them, that they are like part of his crew because they have, they bring what they bring to the table, they can kind of go in and, I mean, for those who don't know, uh, it's, I think Sway Lee was the one who came up with the hook for Formation by mm-hmm. Beyonce. Like, which is maybe the best song ever written. So, uh, you know, that, like, to me, from that day forward, it was like we knew how, how incredibly talented these guys were that they could, you know, create, help create something like that. Mm-hmm. So just jumping over to what I think is probably the biggest release, at least of the last week, uh, if not longer, because I'm not sure about some of the other numbers that have come out, but I think Post Malone's new record is the uh, certain kind of dominance that you get when you've had as many number one singles as he has. Um, For those who are not as well acquainted with Post Malone, he's a rapper singer, um, sort of a hip hop singer, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, his his rapping is of the sort of um, melodic, when it is rapping, it's like melodic rapping. Mostly, it's singing. Um, he he came out with the song. He broke out with the song "White Iverson," which is incredibly catchy uh, and like kind of like one of his actually more funny songs. Mm-hmm. Um, it from the beginning, he's been a bit of a controversial figure because he's sort of accused of being an industry plant, being accused of being a culture vulture. Uh, yet that has done nothing to. Stop his success. It just it, you anything. can't stop an average to decent white rapper yes. in this, in this no, world. Absolutely not. You can't hold him down. No. No matter how hard you try. No. No matter how many think pieces you write. Absolutely. If you're an average to decent white rapper, yeah. you are a rich person. Yeah. But th- you know that's that's just the facts, uh, and especially one music industry rule 101. Yes, absolutely. It, it has been that way since time immemorable, and it will continue to be that way probably until you know music is made by. Robots or whatever happens in the future, and when we, you know, the only way that that we're going to transcend race in that way is when robots are making the music for us. Basically, <laughs> even then, I'm rooting for the black robots. <laughs> That's very fair, very fair. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, he's had a like rock star, which is a huge hit. Congratulations, another, another number one, another number one. Yeah. I think multi- multiple weeks. Congratulations with Quavo with Twenty One Savage. All of his moves are kind of perfectly planned except for this one interview he did last year where he uh, basically said to a European magazine that when he's looking for depth, when he's looking for like lyrical maturity for uh, a wider range of emotions, he doesn't listen to rap music. He listens to Bob Dylan. Uh, And of course, you know, the think pieces came out, you know, people were perhaps uh, rightfully upset about him saying this, it especially is offensive uh, and maybe, you know, adds a lot of righteousness to the uh, sort of old head backpacker type rapper fan who's like, well, this is the problem. They don't, the kids these days don't know their history. They don't have respect for the broader palette of rap music. And, uh, you know, and I think there's also a lot of probably legitimate criticism because of the, the success that he's having being outsized for outsized by the quality of his music perhaps yes absolutely by orders of magnitude you know mm-hmm. in my opinion yeah. um 
So anyway, that I think just in in his in post defense, I think that a lot of people said that that interview was kind of taken out of context, and he does say that there are hip hop artists that create real music, but he was saying that right now what tends to be popular is kind of more of the not so in quotes real music. Yeah, um, which maybe has some merit to it. Maybe has some merit to it, but I think if you're a white rapper, you might want to steer clear of (laughs) discerning what is real hip-hop and isn't. Yeah. It's just like... Especially if you're making the, that music, like, (laughs) you know, like... That's right. With the the kind of rappers that other people would say are not making real music. It just seems like a very bizarre choice. I think that it's just like, the whole thing with like being kind of like a white rapper is that you're, there's always this, this line you're kind of dancing and... I think it just behooves you to st- to err on the side of caution. Yeah, you know, like even if you look at like G Easy, for instance, G Easy's mm-hmm. never been caught saying anything like this. Like, yeah, uh, G Easy, the rapper from the Bay, um, he's just like you know, he just you just gotta gotta like you try and fly under the radar as much as possible when it comes to these kind of conversations, yeah. and just don't get caught up on that summer jam screen. Yeah, know? exactly. No, for sure. And I mean, he kind of didn't he also get caught up on that summer, uh, metaphorically speaking, get caught up on that summer jam screen with some old video about him talking about using the N word. I think Post that, Malone. Yeah. Yes, he did. He did. he did. Yeah. And that that really quickly disappeared. That's how you know yes. Post Malone is very well funded. Yes, exactly. It's like that was a conversation. So White Iverson came out in like August 2015. This, these videos probably came out maybe, um, I'm guessing, like October, November. Yeah. And then it was, like, just as quickly out of the news cycle. Yes. Like, so... It was very... It, shout out to that, to the internet, the digital scrub team at uh, Republic Records. Yeah. Or whoever's... They uh, had a very... Um, the powers that be had a lot of s- to say about that. I feel like it, they, he was also very lucky about the timing of that. If that had happened two years later, if that video had stayed hidden, I think it maybe, maybe would have had more of an impact, or he just would have done, like, a pivot to like red pill content or something like that you know <laughs> that mra vibe yeah um yeah so the the post malone album which is aptly titled beer bongs and bentley's which is kind of a good name it's actually kind of great yeah. i mean i remember the first time i saw it i was like ah for real and yeah. i was like mad and then now i'm just like wow that's like really great yeah <laughs> i mean it's at least it, it is exactly what it is it's like it's like i feel like it's uh it's like self-deprecating in the right way yes. it's kind of like a bit of self-awareness yeah there's a bit sure. of self-awareness to it it's kind of like i it, there's an element of it where he you you can feel him saying he's like look i know i'm ridiculous yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And, I, and i think i think that's what that's what people want to hear from him some people some people some people yes. so I, I listened to the album and you know what like like uh post malone's a very controversial figure in the boosie fade group and has become kind of like a group punching bag. Yeah, I mean, almost too much. So I would say, like, it's it's almost at the point that it's a little un it's a little unwarranted. Yeah, um, a little and a little because he is just a, a touch. He is good target for scorn. Yes, he, he is. He is, but uh, you know, like any joke, it has a yeah. A you don't want to beat beat a dead horse, yeah. beat a dead post Malone. Yeah. So I mean, I, th- I think that like. Similarly, what kind of got me to really pay attention to this J. Cole album was just that everyone, like, every, so many people I know hate this guy so much. I hate this guy so much. So much for some, like, and I don't even know why almost at this at this point. Mm. I'm like, let me try and be as objective as possible and listen to his music and see what happens. And so I did that with the Post Malone album over the last few days. And, you know, it's perfectly fine music. Like, yeah. there there are some, like, really, like... There are some like clunkers, there's some terrible lines, but like some definite cringe. Just I mean, this is the thing. It's like it's post Malone, you know, like yeah. you kind of know what you're getting with with this like kind of like frat 
trap rap. Like, yeah. you know, like Asher Roth fell, so Post Malone could fly. <laughs> yeah, <you know>? exactly. <laughs> like, like it's, I think it's, it's a lot. Like, Post Malone is able to create off a template of a lot of failed experiments in the past. It's true. And I think that's why he's able to, like, if you look at this, this like, the track list and, like, just even the features, it's like, it's Sway Lee, 21 Savage, Ty Dolla Sign, Nicki Minaj, G-Eazy, and YG. That's it. Yeah. That's, like, pitch perfect selection yeah. in terms of features. And it's just, like, he just it finds a way to, at least to his fan base, and I think even to me, like, listening to his album, is, like, he he just doesn't go full corny, in my opinion. I know you probably mm. disagree. Yeah, I uh, think he does, but... I mean, I, I'm, I'm just talking about for his target demographic. Right. You know, they like probably he, don't. He, think he's full corny. Exactly, because yeah. like they're like him a lot yeah. of the time. But it's just like, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that. I mean, he he has this one really hilarious line on. Uh, I think it's the the first the first song, Paranoid. Uh, he has this line. He's like, sometimes I feel like I got no friends. Can't trust a soul like Snowden. That. Mwah! Yeah. Mwah! <laughs> That's what I'm talking yeah, about. That's a, a pretty hilarious <laughs> line because it's like gesturing at the fact like Snowden, is he a Russian double agent? Can he even trust the Russians? It's like, you know, yeah, it's like, oh, it's, it is beautiful. I'm about geopolitical post Malone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think I just had this worry. I had this worry one time when I was listening to White Iverson when it came out. And I was like, is this just what Vanilla Ice was? Like, I think, yes. <laughs> but, like, yeah, with yeah. maybe a little bit, like, smarter people around him, maybe more talent, although I think his talent isn't, again, equivalent to his success, but I think he does have some vocal talent. Yeah, which... he does. I, I saw him live at a festival in the Netherlands last year, and he was a really good singer. Yeah. And just a good showman. He came out to Stone Cold Steve Austin's theme music, yeah. and he was wearing a Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, Austin 316 vest, which right away I was like, dude, yeah. you won me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm with it. Yeah. You know? It's interesting because it's it sort of, I was thinking about how uh, it doesn't quite go full redneck aesthetic. It, like, gestures at it enough uh, to be, like, you know, hitting some of that target market, but also not enough to be off-putting like maybe more like regular preppy kids or you know hip hop fans, hip hop fans, or, or, well, whatever. I mean, pre- preppy kids are hip hop fans, but I mean like yeah, you know. I mean, but even like the you know thinking comparing him to someone like Yellow Wolf, who is like a a, a rapper who we hardly remember, but maybe still cherish. From I was a, a huge Yellow Wolf fan yeah, from the 2010. Early, yeah, the early 2010s. Yeah, he uh, who who really like lived the sort of hip hop redneck aesthetic, mm-hmm. uh, and Post doesn't quite go all the way there like that i mean i don't i honestly my feeling about him was that there was no point in my life where i would love this music when i listen to it because sometimes i listen to music like this that i know is really marketed at people younger than me and i think that it's like hard for me to imagine not like being at a party when i was like 19 or 17 or 16 or something like that and just hating this Mm -hmm. stuff i don't hate it now um, but the, thinking about sort of the target audience and if I was in that target audience, how I'd feel about it, it definitely wouldn't work for me. Uh, it sort of works for me now sometimes, but I ultimately just feel, it just feels like vacuous to mm-hmm, me. Like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't go enough into any particular area other than catchiness and like grazing the signifiers without getting like so deep on them. It's true. And it's some true. of the time, some of the, like he has a line on the first song about how he's worried to get about being pulled over by the police. I know, yes. And I was like, oh really? Why? Because the cop's your dad and he's going to shame you for being out late? Like, <laughs> I, this is, you know, just offensive to me. 
you know, like uh, I, you know what that is a fair point, and I think that there were a few moments on the album where he, you know, where he kind of ta- like talks about that kind of stuff and just like, yeah. you know, essentially saying like, yo, I wish you would run up on me, like I'm strapped and like yeah. this this kind of thing, and I'm like, you know, it's just like you yeah. just kind of, yeah, you know, you just do that that white guy blinking emoji, and yeah. just like. Okay. Yeah. If you don't know what that is, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, it's <laughs> classic. It's gift. an important. It's an important uh, cultural memory from well, at least the last. Couple it's years. still going. It's, it's not still a memory. Going. It's a yeah, but it will be. Yes. we'll remember it forever. Is what I mean. <laughs> <It's okay>. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I think it's enough post Malone. Yeah, I think I've had about enough. So let's talk about the J Cole album. A few weeks ago, J Cole released his fifth studio album, Kod. Uh, which stands for many things, among them Kids on Drugs. Um, and it's a addiction-based album where he kind of discusses, amongst other things, addiction in society in general, but also through the prism of hip-hop and how this cur- current uh, narcoticized... I mean, I guess like hip-hop has always been narcoticized, but it's different, different drugs in the 2010s. A lot of rappers are on the what I like to refer to as the rich housewife drugs, mm-hmm. um, Percocets, you know, <laughs> other Molly, uh, other Percocets. Oh, yes, Molly. Molly is not a rich housewife drug yet, yeah, but in the future, in our the gener- future. it's like that for us. Like you know how like hippie parents would smoke weed. It'll be like kids come home like, oh, my mom's rolling again. <laughs> <laughs> she just keeps saying she loves me. Yeah, stop, get off me. She's always touching her face. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yes, the album. Uh, Debuted at number one, sold 400,000 copies in this first week is, um, I think for a lot of people, I mean, a lot of, a lot of J. Cole fans seem very pleased with this. I mean, they, they're usually pleased with all of his albums. But for me, as a pretty, like I would say, a non-J. Cole fan, I was really impressed with the album. Uh, just his ability to... There's a lot of there's a lot of songs where like on ATM for instance he does what many people would consider to be like a kind of like contemporary SoundCloud ra- SoundCloud E rapper flow, mm-hmm. which is you know not necessarily like like a, almost like a variation of the Migos triplet flow, and just you know seeing that technical display and just how easy it sounds for him to just completely body a track that way I just found very impressive like as a just as a pure hip-hop fan even as somebody who kind of thinks of J. Cole as like oh this is that preachy sort of corny you know uh, Jehovah's Witness type guy but he just has this ability to just completely black out and I really enjoyed that yeah absolutely I uh, am also a, a sort of J. Cole agnostic uh, and I when I heard that song, it like it just like stood out to me. It was like kind of like a better little pump song, and I love little pump. Yeah, I I like it. I played it at Boozy Fade last week, and it was like I almost felt like people weren't ready for it. Like it was like this. I'm like, I want to play this early, and if people get it, then I'm gonna play it again later. But. I'm like kind of. I feel pretty confident that it's like by the next Boozy Fade, it's gonna be like a prime, have like a prime time slot in it because it it is just like it's it's kind of almost that Kendrick effect, like with Kendrick's singles, uh, wherein like people like listen to you know people who aren't die hard into like sort of the SoundCloud trap mumblecore whatever you want to call that type of music, they love it when Kendrick does that stuff. And I feel like this is like seeing like J. Cole also try and do his approach to it. I mean, he's obviously a very talented rapper, like an extremely talented rapper. And so it's like, you know, that that's that it also stood out to me um, 
because it's what I want. I, I like that you referred to it as mumblecore. I don't think it, <laughs> that would be. I would love if people just decided be to call mumble rap mumblecore. Wouldn't that be better? That would be much better. And mumble rap's kind of offensive. Yes, to it me. is. It's, it's offensive. A sl- to it's, me. A, it's a slur. Yeah. It's a derogatory term. Anytime somebody says it to me, it's like, like the other day, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, asked me. He's like, "Who's your favorite mumble rapper?" And I was like, "Let's not do that." Yeah. And mumblecore, you know, as like a, the American indie genre, it's like it's, it's great. I don't think people from mumblecore maybe they get offended by that use of like you know pigeonholing their films in that regard. But I think it's much funnier and endearing to think of them as you know sharing something in common. Yeah, I just like the idea of thinking <laughs> of the Duplass brothers and Little Yachty sharing <laughs> some kind of aesthetic values. Exactly, <laughs> it's, it's, it's millennial speak. You yes. know, it's like the it's like. Drinking lean and getting tattoos on your face is like graduating college, going back to your hometown, and not knowing what to do with yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so speaking of college, let's talk more a little about this J. Cole album. Because uh, I think some people some people would think that J. Cole's kind of whole ethos is like, if you would go to college, you would not have any troubles in your life. But I think this album, I think what he does really well on it is kind of... Letting people know that he, first of all, he, he has this, uh, the, the f- final song, 1985, mm-hmm. he talks about essentially that when he was like 18 or 19, he was talking about all the same things that all these like so-called mumble rappers are talking about. He's talking about cars, he's talking about women, he's talking about all these things. And it's, the song itself is kind of a cautionary tale that, I mean, there there is an element of condescension in it, but it's like, I, I, I thought it was somewhat measured in the way that he approaches it, and it's and it seems like it's coming from a place of genuine concern. And Jay Cole is not really the type of guy who does a lot of press, but he he did grant uh, Paul Cantor from New York Magazine some access to write a profile about him, and he and he talks about how that essentially he he was just trying he's just tr- showing genuine concern, not just for the for, both for the genre of hip hop, but also for the rappers who are really young and probably have a huge deal, a huge advance from a label like all this borrowed money and aren't really aware that the decisions they're making now could affect the rest of their lives. And if they don't set themselves up now for success in the future, in five years, maybe they don't have the hot song in the clubs that, you know, it's like love and hip hop for the, you know, it's love and hip hop for you. Not that there's anything wrong with that, (laughs) but I just think that most people don't think of their career as traveling through the love and hip hop circuit. Even though that is the reality for many who are lucky actually to, to get to that point, because that really sustains a lot of careers, it re- reinvigorates them. But uh, I actually, I love, I, that was one of my favorite songs on the album, because uh, it reminded me of Loaded Lux, um, who, who, he did this battle where he Explain was, who Loaded Lux is. So Loaded Lux was this guy who uh, was part of the battle rap community, who, um in the early, like, whatever you want to call this decade, like around 2010, maybe even a bit earlier, he was, like, one of the hot battle rappers on, like, what were, what were like basically, like, street DVDs. This is before people thought to really put this content on YouTube, he was, like, with maybe Jin the MC, who you might have heard of, uh, Murder Mook, Iron Solomon, uh, these kind of, like, freestyle battle rappers uh, who w- would meet and, like, at like a gymnasium or something like that and do these like acapella battle raps versus each other. And then he kind of disappeared and he came back and he battled this guy named Calico, uh, who was uh, a battle rapper from 
Detroit. He was hot. He was kind of like his shtick was really like, I am like a gangster. I will shoot you. Because so Calico's dad was a part of BMF, which was the um, the black mafia family. black mafia family out of Atlanta, who are the um, one of the major like drug cartels of the early two thousands in America. Fifty Cent is making a television show about them right now, actually. Yeah. So, like Calico had this sort of like street cred through his very real father, um, and basically loaded Lux like kind of like sat Calico down on his knee and like gave him a talking to for his verse that was like both like this sort of instructional moment of the here's how you live your best life and also this uh, kind of shaming like you can you can do better we expect more out of you you know I know understand why you you were acting like this but stop acting like this it's bad and I felt like the um, uh, 1985 uh, that the the out the last song on the Cole album is kind of in the similar vein. It's like, come on, you can do better. It doesn't have to be like this. You know, you're only hurting yourself, uh, and maybe others. You know, it's not. You know, it's. I understand. It feels good, but come on, mm-hmm. grow up a bit. Uh huh. And that's the classic. That's the classic J Cole thing. And that's why, you know, even after this album. I mean, you know what? I will say this album has made me a believer about J. Cole. Like, actually, a few years ago, maybe this is like 2012, 2013, I reviewed a J. Cole show at Massey Hall. And at the time, I really was not into J. Cole. I'd listened to his 2010 mixtape, Friday Night Lights, which I loved, is still great. I listened to it recently and it still holds up very, very well. Um, but after his like major label debut, which like he talks about in this vulture profile that he he kind of had the attitude, almost like the the Hollywood the Hollywood uh, you know considerate actor Ryan Gosling, one for them, one for me kind of thing. Do a studio film, do an indie film for your cred, um, and he kind of had that attitude with with his early albums. Like he's like I'm on Rock Nation. He felt the pressure of like being a Jay Z signee and maybe being some kind of heir apparent, and so he had these like these songs that were just like craven attempts at getting on top 40 radio and most of them did work but he still kind of felt you know guilty about it which led to the song let nas down because nas apparently had expressed disappointment to somebody about cole's choices um but i'll, I'll say like when, when i went to the show i i i felt like there was something really special about the kind of fans that j cole has and the way that they look at him and i mean for i think a lot of people just relate to him in such in such a personal way that you know, I think for a lot of a lot of rappers get by on how superstar like how otherworldly they seem. You know, like uh, if you like you kind of want your stars to be big and out. If you think of like the Young Thugs and the even Future and his like prodigious drug intake, which no living human and certainly not any human with the kind of skin and teeth that he has <laughs> could possibly do. But part of what people enjoy about the music is how just otherworldly it seems it just doesn't seem like it's in the real in the real world i mean think about it like tupac you know being probably the most popular rapper one of the most popular rappers of all time it was because he literally felt like this is like human plus like he is like <laughs> like how does how like he's you know has this otherworldly energy to him yeah and i think the thing with cole that i realized from being at a show is that what people liked about him is that he was so much like them you know, he rapped about having student loans and like just like things that people that, you know, your average like working person could feel like, oh, that's like this is somebody who's like a representative of me. And also I could probably just talk to him and it wouldn't be weird at all. And I feel like 
I don't know. That, that's a really interesting trait to me, and I think especially in in uh, like another thing in this this J Cole album is he talks about how um, in the song 1985 is that there's a lot of people, a lot of like the consumers of hip hop, uh, commercial consumers of hip hop are not black; they're white or other races, but mostly white, at least in the U.S. And he's saying that a lot of these people don't have any day to day interactions with black people. Or people, or other people of color, but particularly black people, which is true. And they are looking at these, you know, upcoming Sound SoundCloud rappers in quotes, like you know the little Uzi Verts, the little Yachties, uh, little Pumps, and they're looking at them as an avatar for blackness, and they're like, that's what being black is like, and that they listen to the music and they get to feel the thrill of being black in quotes, but without having to to think about you know, over policing or, you know, any of the systemic issues that face real black people. And so his point is that you should think about the message that you're imparting to these people because these are the primary consumers of your product. And is this the kind of thing that you want to, like, leave them with? Um, How do you feel about that? You know, I think that that I do think there's some truth to that. I do think it's also a little unfair to put the entire weight of, you know, how people view black people on these these artists like i don't think that's necessarily their they're all their fault or their responsibility but i do think it's something that is worth saying to them and i do think it's something that these rappers need to hear because like just you know not that i think that it's going to actually change anyone's you know how they make their music or or how they present themselves right now but i feel like that's the kind of thing that you puts a bug in your ear and maybe who knows three four or five years down the line like that's something that i think might come back to some of these people later as they start to rise in the music industry or they fall in the music industry and just think about their careers and like what they're doing with their platform in general and i think that's very valuable yeah i'm i'm always a bit troubled by that perspective because it feels um like you're sort of in that like conservative mindset of like it's your fault that things are bad not the it's like the fault of the victim not the like oppressor um you know it i think that it's a little like people shouldn't have to think about shouldn't base the motivations of their actions on how it looks for the greater race that they're in i i understand that the argument that that even if it's not how it should be, maybe it, that's how it is. Uh, but, you know, for me, art is generally, there's got to be an element of how it should be in art. It's not a policy decision. It's not, you know, rap, art, rappers are artists. They're not politicians. They're not activists per se. They can also be those things, and that can ch- change the nature of their art. But, uh, you know, when you're saying to an artist, stop acting this way because it makes black people look bad. It, it's kind of like, well, who's who are they looking bad to? Do you give a fuck about? I, yeah, you know, fuck what ignorant white people think is kind of my perspective. So it's like, it, fuck what ignorant white people think. So therefore, like, wh- why police your own actions for their sake? Do it for your sake, but don't do it for their sake. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and the idea that that. Like white, I guess the thing that it bugs me about it is it's the idea that white people are racist because of the actions of black people, and I just don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true either. And yes, I, I totally see how that how the J, the J Cole point can come off like that. Yeah, that, I, that's I, not necessarily how I how I read it in full, but that's actually a good point. Though. Yeah, I think that's the logical extreme of it, and it's also not how I 
think that the song exactly this song comes out. I think some of his other stuff I found to be more in that tone. Mm-hmm. What I like about this song is it feels almost more specific and more directed to certain artists to be like, you know, uh, get your shit together, basically. And, you know, a, a greater thing, it speaks to a greater trend of the, of the album that I like, which is that in some sense it is actually kind of uh, against the grain or unpopular sentiment to be like, being a, like a drug addict is bad in rap music. It actually kind of is. As much as we don't want to like be like, man, I fucking love listening to Future talk about Oxycontin. It's actually true that, you know, the, the opiate, opioid, opioid epidemic kills killed 60,000 people last year in America. So I, I, I do, I, but I appreciate that his like sort of, him taking that on because I do think that it's it's even worth if you could change kind of balance it's like it's all sort of a question of balance I guess mm. you know it's a balance to be like there should be some people saying drugs are bad because you know a lot of times drugs are bad yeah I think I think it just kind of ties back to just like my whole stance on J. Cole in general which you know he's, he's not my favorite artist in the world um, although like after this album I'm kind of like I think I'm just like a full time and just like seeing his press run and reading this this profile in Vulture and just seeing kind of like and not only that, but thinking about what he does outside of outside of the booth, just like, you know, his association with Colin Kaepernick and like just visiting prisons and like letting single moms live in his old house in Fayetteville, like just like the, the whole J. Cole as like a cultural figure. Um, I really just enjoy his presence. And I think that he's a really important figure in hip hop and it's important that a rapper like him is as popular as he is. Because it's one thing to have like Kendrick talking about like socially conscious issues and being at the top of the top forty, but to have another another person like J Cole like up there as well, I think it just I think it just it's like like you said it's about balance. If you think about like what's going on in hip hop right now and who's dominating the charts, you're having you're there's it's a lot of young it's a lot of young people, a lot of uh, trap rappers, a lot of which is all stuff that I love. But I think that there does need to be some balance, I and mean, we we have to have you know both sides, all sides for hip-hop to really flourish in the way that it should. Yeah. I also do want to point out that he made a song about taxes, <laughs> which is, like, really impressive to me, that he can make a pretty good song about paying his taxes and not, you know, being sure if he's getting his money worth. It's just is there, like... Is there anything more American than that? Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, uh, you know, you're like, well, I see your point, you know? The, you know, roads aren't that good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you might have noticed that for a podcast about music and uh, certain particular artists, there is none of the music that we are discussing within the podcast. Well, because of the nature of copyright law and our uh, lack of want nor ability to pay the licensing rights for all of these songs every week, uh, we have decided to compile a Spotify playlist that will update with every episode containing songs we either mentioned or like um, and usually each week we're going to give you uh, just what we're feeling as well from the artists we discuss as well as in general so for me I'm three songs from my three songs are J. Cole's ATM which we discussed earlier it's just a really tremendous tremendous display of rapping uh, Post Malone's song Zach and Codeine just because <laughs> the title is Zach and Codeine which is a pitch perfect and Sway Lee's Hurt to Look, which is like a future adult contemporary classic, in my oh, opinion. Yeah. And my one song that, uh, that isn't related to an artist we discussed today, well, only nominally, is Cardi B and YG's She Bad. Mm. It's just an incredible, 
incredible party song. Yeah. I feel like it's just like, you just want to see a twerk contest as soon as you hear that song. You yeah, know? absolutely. Uh, for me, my three songs were uh, J. Cole's 1985, um, the uh, Nicki Minaj-assisted Post Malone possibly future banger, hopefully. It will get some uh, radio play Ball For Me, which has a really great beat, uh, Power Glide, as discussed. And my song that I've been listening to is, uh, or feeling lately, is uh, Lil Durk's 1773 Vulture, which is his, uh, it's kind of like a, a remix of Freestyle over uh, Logic's song that... Uh, 1-800, the number that I don't remember. Yeah, 1-800, the suicide number. Yeah. Yeah, that Lil Durk's version is... It redeems the existence of the Logic song <laughs> because it is that good. Wow. So that's it, James. That's the end of our first episode. I feel great. Wow. Good job. Thank good you. job. You too. Uh, thank you. Thank you. There's a lot we didn't get to today. Uh, next time we'll be talking about Kanye West, Cardi B, and a whole lot more. Mm. Yeah. We're going to go deep on that. Yes. Deep on it. So thank you guys for listening to the first episode. I just want to let you know that you should please subscribe to to the podcast. Uh, to on catch iTunes. Up. Review and rate us, please, because it positively. helps us. Positively. Positively. Yeah, don't. If you have something you negative say, to say, say, don't say it. Yeah, just don't say it. You know, keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. Don't even, don't even Facebook message us. No. Don't. Actually, you know what? Facebook message me. You, you can, you can say something negative to me if yeah, you feel. Say like it to, to my face. <laughs> That's what I want. Um, and another good way of like spreading the word about the podcast is like, please, if you enjoyed it, like tell a friend. Yeah. Um, and if you want to say it, uh, any criticism to James's face, you can do it to either of us uh, the last Friday of every month at Parts and Labor, which is in Toronto's West End. Yeah. If Post Malone is listening to this and he wants to talk to me about it, please come to Boozy Fade. I think you'll better understand the culture for being there, <laughs> and uh, I'll better understand you and how you smell. 